here, this, it's a lot. It's a lot. This passage is a lot. Here in Exodus uh, 19, we see uh, that the children of Israel are in the wilderness of Sinai, and they've just arrived at Mount Sinai. The pattern of the narrative lectionary that Pastor John is following uh, has the central idea um, of forming a covenant. Uh, God made a covenant with Noah after the flood uh, that Pastor read at Rally Sunday. God made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah. Um, and now here we see God making a covenant with all the people of Israel. This covenant, however, is slightly different in some respects from the other two. The first two covenants are heavily weighted on the idea of God doing for, God not destroying the earth, and God making Abraham, Sarah, and their descendants numerous and a blessing. Uh, the party that is not God, the Israelites, contributes to the keeping of this covenant. It is now the work of God's people to be a priestly kingdom and a holy nation, as Joe Alice read. And now this work is accomplished in this covenant maintained um, through the understanding and the keeping of these commandments that God gives Moses. Admittedly, I haven't thought very regularly about the Ten Commandments as a lifelong Christian. Um, and I think the reason that is for myself and perhaps for others is that I have a kind of lazy and perhaps false understanding of what they are and what they exist to do uh, and what they mean for me as a follower of Christ uh, on top of it as a Christian. Um, in one hand, the uh, shalls and the shall nots of the Ten Commandments absolutely do read and in one sense are a list of do's and don'ts. But when one holds only this simplified understanding of the, of the covenant of these commandments, a way of being and a way of freedom that seeks to treat and regard one another in community with mutual love and respect is reduced to merely an I am religious checklist to be crossed off. For example, if an individual had a burning murderous hate within them for another person in their community, and their thought process was something like, God, I really hate that person. I would totally take that person's life, but ugh, I can't because of the commandment, so I guess I won't. But you know I would. And then, therefore, no murder takes place. Would you say that those two are living in peace together because of the absence of that murder? Now, that is not to say that the prohibitive function of the commandments isn't important. It absolutely is in calling out and prohibiting specific acts of harming others in a multitude of ways. But holding that view alone as an understanding of the commandments leaves a lot to be desired in the realm of renewing minds, hearts, communities, and the radical love that God represents. Jesus, in his ministry, did not shy away from the conundrum that is a legalistic, blind followership of the law, but in several texts addresses it directly. Jesus, as the very wisdom of God, knew that not only could this happen from this understanding of the commandments, but that it was happening in the Jewish community and especially under the leadership of the Pharisees and religious leaders. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew, we see Jesus saying, You have heard it said, You shall not murder, referencing the commandment. 
Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I tell you that if you are angry with, that if you insult or exclaim you fool to another, it is even for those acts that you will be held liable. Jesus continues, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at another's spouse with covetedness and lust has already committed adultery, committed adultery within his or her own heart. And Jesus goes on with several more examples, uh, but specifically it is within these examples that the crux and the essence of God's concern for the commandments is fully displayed. It is for the sake and the purpose of changing communities and how the keeping of the commandments changes one's own heart and one's own very being and in turn changes how one regards and engages another's very being within that same community. There is another story, certainly not the only other, but there is another instance in the Gospels where Jesus interacts directly with one of the commandments. In the book of Mark, when Jesus heals the man's hand on the Sabbath, this happens. The commandment, of course, being to rest on the Sabbath, right, as we've just read. That neither you, nor your children, nor your servants, nor your livestock, etc., should do any labor or work on the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3 reads, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, the Pharisees and others, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save a life or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Since I was a kid, I have always been interested in trying to start hypothetical theological discussions with those around me. In fact, to this day, I don't think that my mom can get through a a meal back home with me at lunch without trying to get her to have an existential crisis on her lunch break. <laughs> I've never been one for small talk. I, it just, it's just how it goes. I remember asking my mom as a kid, perhaps trying to trick her into a moral conundrum, if there was ever a time in which one could call into question telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, you know. And this idea, which is definitely of her, because I couldn't have come up with this language on my own as a child, uh, but I remember her saying something along the lines of, one's attempt to lie or bend the truth in order to spare someone's feelings from being needlessly hurt, that that was a situation in which blind adherence need be put into context and into the larger picture of what's happening in the situation. Now, my mom will be the first to say she's no theologian and that she doesn't want to be a theologian and that she's probably wondering why I'm quoting her in uh, this sermon. But I believe that in the passage of Mark 3, from which I just read, that there is tangible and exegetical evidence for this very idea. Now, I will say here that the Pharisees have a sound argument against Jesus in this situation. That's really not to be overlooked because we're reading this in hindsight. They have scriptural proof texts 
for the commandment itself, bringing this back to the commandments, stating that you can't do this, you can't do work on the Sabbath. They've got, and it's pretty, pretty provable with that proof text. They have generations of religious tradition on their side of ways in interp- of interpreting that rule. And they have a credibility, they have the credibility of others and the benefit of a power structure that comes with being recognized leaders within the religious community. Not only that, but in an almost identical story in Luke, the Pharisees make the argument there are six days on which to work ought to be done. Come on those days to be cured, not on the Sabbath. This is a, this is a pretty good argument. I'll show my hand here and say that I, I agree with Jesus on this one, but I can objectively say that this is a really sound argument, right? And yet... Even with their structured sound argument, and perhaps because of their obsession with this argument and this understanding of the commandments, Jesus says, essentially, you're missing the point. That to keep these commandments in a followership and a faith that says, I don't care who gets hurt or oppressed in the process, as long as I can check off the I follow the rules box on this religious list of to-dos and don'ts is to categorically misunderstand the very purpose of this covenant and these commandments and their very nature. And so I believe that this is the question that I have for myself and maybe a question for all of us to consider today, is what does it look like to understand these commandments through the example of Christ, by whom we as Christians become inheritors of this covenant, And how does that understanding shape how we respect, understand, care for, value the worth of, and ultimately love one another in Christ?